Well, um, we're working. We've had, we, have, we had a pro presenter healing this morning. You, you'll be glad to know we've been having struggles with our slides again, but it's good to be with you all. We are finishing up our series this morning. Um, uh, this idea of us as men and women being created and by his design that we were created um, as men and woman, women, we were created fully equal in value, but distinct in design. That we are created equal in value, but with distinct purposes, distinct roles, distinct parts to play, uh, both out in the world, but also within the body of Christ. We've talked over these last weeks about um, what the design meant before the fall, before sin entered the world, the perfect harmony that existed between man and woman, and also the perfect harmony that existed at that time between man and woman and God. There was no shame before the fall. It says um, in Genesis that the man and woman were naked and they were not ashamed. Which sounds a little bit like San Francisco on Beta Breaker Sunday. <laughs> or any sunny afternoon in the Castro. But what that really means, we, 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 we take that and we think about physical nakedness and, and we, we can make lots of jokes about that. But what that really means between man and woman at that time was that man and woman lived in this perfect place of vulnerability that was okay. They lived in a place without competition. There wasn't hurt, there wasn't pain, there wasn't mistreatment. And there was this common understanding of the nature of the relationship that God had created them for. And, and so they were perfectly connected and then they were both perfectly connected with God in this very true, very sweet, very pure, very perfect, very satisfying relationship. And then sin entered the world and sin just really destroyed all of that. With sin came conflict between man and woman and came the severing of the relationship between man and woman and God and everything got super ugly. But here's what I think it's important for us to remember. Sometimes we read God's word and we think about our humanness and our tendency towards sin and the fact that we are sinful beings. And we, we think, well, how can God's word be expected to apply to us with all that we deal with as, as sinful humans, as imperfect humans? But the truth is God gave us this after the fall. God gave us his word, understanding what it would mean for us and, and how difficult it would be for us and the fact that we couldn't do it on our own. But sometimes we use our sin and our struggles as some sort of excuse that this doesn't apply to us anymore. But this was given to us for a purpose. Its primary purpose is to point us to the hope that we have and we will find in Christ if we enter into relationship with him. And if we are in relationship with Christ... His word was given to show us our common purpose as Christ followers, men and women, our common status under God's word, our common calling to work together for the cause of the kingdom of God. It wasn't given, and we weren't created as men and women to, to, come, to, get, to come into this place where we try to prove ourselves or um, where we dominate over anyone or where we fight for our own status, we fight for position. We were called as men and women, and God's word gives us this calling to work together for the cause of the kingdom of God, period. And that is hard, right? It requires that we oftentimes surrender our rights. 
It would be a lot easier if we were called to work with people who were just like us, but that is not our calling. And today we're going to wrap this series up by talking and looking into how God designed us as man and God designed us as woman. But he designed us to work together. He designed it to bring the genders together to represent something very special to the world. To represent Jesus to the world. To represent to the world the God who redeems and who saves and who changes lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray and jump in. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for a beautiful morning. God, there's something when you walk outside in the air like it is today with the sky blue and even with chaos all around us. There's just such a sense of, of um, your artistry. There's such a sense of what you want to do, that you are here and that you have purpose. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the grace of a new day. God, I pray today that you would open our hearts and our minds. God, for those of us in here who struggle in relating to the opposite sex in any way, I pray you would soften our hearts and challenge and encourage us. But God, for all of us as a church, I pray that you would give us a picture of the amazing gift you've given us of each other and the amazing um, privilege of of purpose that you've given us, of working towards sharing the gospel with this entire world. We love you. I pray that you would be pleased by what happens here today, that it would be pleasant to your um, senses this morning, God. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So men and women, obviously, as we've talked about for three weeks, are different. But the reality is we're born into this fallen world. We're born into sin, And sin, the sinful world that we live, plays out in us and in our inner relations in many ways. Sin evidences itself in our biology. We're born into sin. That means our personalities, the things we're good at, the things we naturally like, our natural bents. All of that stuff, sin is impacted in. I call that our biology. But sin is also um, affect, uh, it also impacts our environment, it impacts our experiences. We are, we are born these little sinful creatures and then we're placed into a sinful world and those things work together. So maybe as a man, my personality, just the natural way that, that I'm bent towards, maybe my personality impacts how I relate as a man or how I relate to women. Or maybe things in my life, my experiences, things happened in my life that have either hurt or helped me as I relate as a man or as I relate to women. But whether it's my personality or whether it's the the world that I've been placed in, both of those things are just different manifestations of sin in our fallen world. And the truth is that God's word still applies to me no matter how I was born and no matter what happened to me. I was born a man. You were born man or woman. And therefore, as a man... You as a woman, we're called to a certain character as man or woman. And for some of us as men, the calling on our lives as men doesn't come easy to us. Something in our makeup or in our environment has made us selfish and passive. And we follow this this sinful existence. and, And what God has called us to does not feel natural to us. It doesn't feel natural to submit to what God has created us to be, to the, to the life that God has called us to live. The same can be true of women. Some women, God's call on their lives feels unnatural to them. 
But deep down, we have innate characteristics that God gave us. And we are different. And we are different on purpose. And we are different for a purpose. I saw a comic strip this week. It's a funny comic strip called Zitz, which is about a teenage boy and his um, parents. It, It was funny years ago. Now it's funny slash horrifying, as I have three teenagers. But there's this, well, you'll see one on the screen, a, an image on the screen. So this is, a, this is kind of highlighting the difference in nonverbal communication between guys and girls. So I know you can't see the details on this, but this girl, these two girls are saying hi to each other. And all of those other lines represent everything else that's going on behind the scenes as they say hi. They're looking at everything. They're taking in a million things. Now, I know not every girl is like this. But in my experience, there is something innately intuitive about women. And with that innate intuitiveness comes the ability to see many things at the same time. Now look at the picture of guys. They just say hi. There's nothing else going on. It's just a hi. This is so my son. (laughs) I'm like, what's up, Peter? Hi. He even responds to texts. Hi. That's all he says. So, but here's the deal. Not all guys are like this. I'm not totally like this, but I am sort of like this. I tend to be kind of focused on one thing at a time. Stephanie might have a million things going on. So here's the deal, though. Whether or not this actually applies to you, this picture of a guy or picture of a girl, I want you to imagine one of those two girls that we saw and one of those two boys saying hi. It is a perfect storm for conflict. Maybe not immediately, but those two people get in a relationship. And those two ways of, inter- of interrelating and seeing the world will create conflict. But for us as men and women, the perfect storm of conflict actually began in the Garden of Eden. And it's much darker than what we often do. We often sort of make funny pictures of the differences between how men and women communicate or how they think. But in Genesis 3, we see um, really a dark picture of what happens between men and women. God tells Adam and Eve how the fall will impact them. In verse 16 of, of Genesis 3, it says this. He's speaking to Eve. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then in verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is a dark passage, really. And in it we see this picture of like the curse impacting man in his work. It says, toil your work will become. For women, we see pain in childbirth. But in God's words to Eve, we also see the root of relational struggles between man and woman. So when God says, your desire will be for your husband, I think sometimes we think of that as a romantic desire or a love desire, but he's really not talking about lust or love or romance there. That word really means more something about control 
or power or even competition. He is describing an ongoing power struggle and quest for control rather than some sort of pure love or pure satisfaction in the roles that God designed men and women to play. And when God says the husband will rule over you, he's not, he's not ordering the husband to rule. He's not saying the husband should rule. He's saying that man is going to make those efforts. So in this statement about desire and about rule, God is letting us know that essentially man and woman will live in conflict. And the relationship will be problematic. God was right, yes? I mean, anybody, husbands and wives, yes. Mothers and sons, daughters and fathers. It's problematic. It's a struggle. It's not easy. And what happens, what we see so often is that in the struggle, sometimes men just give up on women. Sometimes women just give up on men. Sometimes they don't give up on each other, but they seem willing to fight to the death to prove or gain something from the other. But this is what is true. Men and women who follow Jesus have a co-mission. Jesus' great commission in, in Matthew 28, where he says, go out into all the world and to make disciples, that commission is for the body of Christ as a whole. It is not just for men, and it's not just for men to do that with other men, and it's not just for women, and it's not just for women to do that with other women. We are called to the same calling. Here at First SF, we've refashioned that great commission into our mission statement. For us here, all of us together are on mission to lead others to love and live for Jesus. We have to fight the urge to withdraw from the opposite sex or fight against the opposite sex if we, as a collective body of Christ followers, are to carry out our calling, the calling God gave to each one of us individually and the calling God gave to the church. So there's a reality in this idea of working with the opposite sex that um, we come together, the genders come together in marriage. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But working together is not just a marital concept. The Bible is full of stories of men and women working together. We see Deborah and Barak. She's this judge and prophetess. She calls Barak to lead the army. And he says, I'll only do it if you go into battle with me. He's not exactly um, an evident, uh, a picture of chivalry. But he says, you go with me. But then together they defeat the Canaanite army led by Sisera. You see Priscilla and Aquila, married team, who helped Paul greatly in the early days of the church. They helped disciple together Apollos. They started a church in their home. They were influential together for the spread of the gospel. We see Lydia, a businesswoman, Christian businesswoman, a seller of purple cloth. She opens her home to Paul. She helps Paul. She comes alongside Paul in his ministry. We see Mary, Martha, Lazarus coming together to host Jesus in their home. We see Dorcas who has raised, Dorcas, this amazing servant to the poor, carrying out such a vital role in the kingdom, raised by Peter so that she could continue her vital work in the kingdom and for the kingdom. Esther and Mordecai working together to save God's people from destruction. You even see in the end of Philippians, there's a a call from 
Paul for these two women to work out their differences, to, to resolve this problem that was going on behind them. Um, Euodia and Shintashi. Paul urges a resolution in their conflict because they were important in the work that Paul and, and his friends were doing. And Paul even says, you need to work this out because you're laboring side by side with me for the gospel. We need each other as men and women, and we need to figure this out. So today I want to talk about it broadly, but first I want to talk to people who are married. What that marriage relationship is, is supposed to really achieve. Um, and I think this is important if you have any interest in ever being married as well. That's the first takeaway. Men and women in marriage are a reflection of Christ and the church. So I think we could spend a whole month of Sundays unpacking what exactly sacrificial love on the part of the husband and submission on the part of the wife, what that really means, what that really looks like. But at the end of the day, what we need to know, what we need to understand is that at the end of the day, it's just simply not about us. It is not about us winning or controlling or asserting our rights. Marriage is fundamentally for the proclamation and the sharing of the gospel in a very unique way. Man and woman, they represent the whole of who God is. You know, God made both of them in his image. So the the uniqueness of man and woman come together to represent as a whole picture who God is. They come together in covenantal, it's important, sacrifice and submission. And the purpose of that is to reflect to the world the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, It should be on your screen. I'll be all over the place in Scripture today, so you can turn there if you want. It's Ephesians 5. I want to read this to you. Listen to these words. And then just listen. Let this soak in. Don't worry about what it means for you. Let this soak in as as a couple or as someone who wants to be married someday. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This passage is why we care about marriage as Christians. Marriage is not fundamentally a governmentally sanctioned union designed to give tax or survivor benefits. Marriage is a mystical, spiritual union that turns a relationship between a man and a woman into a reflection of Christ and the church. Turns a relationship into a reflection. What God designed the world to see through this marital reflection 
in many ways outweighs any other sort of evangelism a husband or a wife might undertake on their own. 20 years ago, when Stephanie and I were reconciled after our separation, our marriage was an absolute wreck. And I read this passage in Ephesians 5, and it so encouraged me because it reminded me of why marriage is important. And while Stephanie and I had no loving feelings between us at that time, we really had no feelings at all that were pleasant. I knew that this was the purpose for our marriage, and we trusted that God would grow in us the sort of love, a sort of a love relationship that he desired so that our marriage would achieve the purpose for which he designed it. Married couples in this room, think about this. Husbands, when the world looks at you and your relationship with your wife, the world should see a reflection of the incomprehensible, sacrificial, selfless way that, the, that, the, that Christ loves the church. That is a powerful image and a high calling. Wives, when the world sees you, it should see a reflection of how the church loves and respects and submits to her groom, Jesus Christ. It's an equally powerful image and an equally high calling. So husbands and wives in this room, as you, the next time you find yourself wallowing in everything you're not getting in your, out of your marriage or frustrated with your spouse, which I can say that I find myself wallowing in that quite a bit. But the next time you find yourself there, ask God to empower you to love your way your spouse in a way that shows the world Christ's relationship to the church. On your own, read 1 Corinthians 7 sometimes. It's, it's, uh, it's about marriage, but here's what you see out of that. This is a truth that we have in, as married people in a marriage relationship need to understand. Marriage is not the place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other. And the truth is, as people and members of the body of Christ, I'm really speaking to the church this morning, that truth is actually true for all of us, single or married. As Christians, we are not to stand up for our rights against each other. We are called to serve each other. Working together as men and women is not just for married people. In fact, all men and women, no matter what, no matter your marital status, we are called to work together for the cause of Christ. And God's word has so much to say about how we relate to each other as Christians. And sometimes we pull what he says into only certain categories. But everything he says about working together applies to all of us as men and women in the church. God doesn't distinguish between men and women when he calls the church to be unified. And to work together. And that brings me to my second takeaway. Number two, men and women are both gifted and important parts of the body. So I was looking, and this is an interesting topic to sort of figure out how to teach on. But one of the things I was drawn to was the picture in the New Testament when Paul talks about spiritual gifts and the fact that we are all gifted to be a part of a unified, working, well-functioning body. The body of Christ is, in fact, one body... With many members, and it is comprised of men and of women, each of whom have a specific part to play in the function, in the body, if the body is to function as God designed the body to function. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then in verse 19, If we all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. As a man in this body who is called to co-labor with women in this body, I, I can't say I have no need of you. You think so differently than I do. It's so much effort to try to figure out how to communicate with you. I think I could just do this better myself. Or you know what? This would be a lot easier if it was just a group of guys coming together to figure this out. I can't say that. And the same goes true for women. You can't look at the men that that God calls you to co-labor with for the kingdom purposes and say, I have no need of you. This would be a lot easier if men were not involved. We are called to co-labor for the common good, men and women. And the perspective and the insight and the ways of thinking and the ways of working, all of that, all of those things that we both bring to the table, those differences that sometimes create conflict, those things being without all of those things at the table, it would be just like Paul said, where would our body be? I promise you. If we were a body of men or a body of women, this place would be a disaster. But we're not. We're unique and gifted, and God has called us together. Our last takeaway, men and women are one another's to each other. The way we do this, the way we come together as a functioning body is by not worrying about ourselves. But instead by thinking, how does God call me to treat the other? In 1 Corinthians 11, it's this really, really odd passage. It's this whole thing about head coverings and women cutting their hair. We'll we'll do that another Sunday and Ryan can deal with that one. (laughs) But after this head covering issue surfaced in the church, and, and you can almost sense Paul's frustration even in having to discuss it. But he gives this um. This solution, you know, he says, in this time and in this place and with everything going on right here, here's, here's my guidance, here's my direction for you. But after that, I think it's this powerful verse. He makes this simple and really profound comment that in many ways is sort of the, you know, this, this is for now, but here's the bottom line how we should all treat each other and all work together. In that particular case, both men and women were sort of asserting their rights to do something and, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven eleven. Nevertheless, so I love that nevertheless. After everything I've just told you, nevertheless, here's the bottom line. In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Neither man nor woman are independent of each other. We are to each other one another's. And God has given us much direction in how to live with one another. 59 times in the New Testament, we are given instructions on how to live with one another. I mold over many of these, and some of them say the same thing. It's in different contexts or different situations. But as I went over them, eight of them jumped out at me as the most compelling and challenging for me when I consider me as a man 
and how God designed me working alongside perfectly designed women in a fallen world where we might tend to disregard the other or where we might tend to butt heads with the other. And I believe these are true for all of us as we work alongside men and women. And I think these are particularly important in that particular context. I'm going to go through these fast. Number one, honor one another. It's from Romans 12. Honor means to treat with respect. And I really love what it says in Romans 12. It actually says outdo one another in showing honor. If we came together as men and women and our goal was to show and evidence respect of the other, imagine that in your homes as husbands and wives, but imagine that just in the body as we come together with a common goal and purpose as Christ followers. Honor one another. Regard each other with great respect. Number two, be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love. I just felt like we needed to talk about patience when you're talking about men and women working together. Patience means that sometimes some of us go really fast and sometimes some of us are slower. Sometimes those of us are very logical and black and white and we have a list and we know exactly what we need to do. And others of us are more creative and thoughtful and want to bring and consider a whole lot of things. And sometimes you can just get really frustrated and you may want to jump to the end. Or maybe if you're that person who takes more time because everybody else is pushing and pushing and not listening, you just want to bail out. We need to be patient with one another and bear with one another in love. Number three, forgive one another. The truth is we are going to mess up. I'm going to say something that is offensive. You all know that's probably very true and likely even before I get down from here today. I probably already have. Many times Stephanie says in the car after something, did you know you said that out loud? We need to learn to forgive because we're going to mess up. And Ephesians 4.32 and other places too say we forgive as God in Christ forgave us. You know what that means? Over and over again sometimes. It means believing the best about people. It means allowing people to move on, allowing people to change. Not harboring ill will about something that was said a long time ago. Truly forgiving and moving forward. It means extending grace to each other. I often say this, sometimes we want so much grace towards us and we're unwilling to extend to other people the same grace that we want to receive. We have to learn to forgive one another, really forgive, move forward. Number four, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The truth is that our calling to submit to each other is a mutual calling for all of us. What that means is there are times when I have to submit my greater desires, my ways of thinking, my, my thoughts on how something should be and how something should work out. And we're all called to that, a mutual submission. You know, when, when people mutually submit, at some point, everybody's ideas get heard and everybody's ideas get carried out at times. It's when one person submits all the time that somebody feels disregarded and trampled. It's a mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Number five, in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. Consider others, some translations say, more significant than yourselves. Imagine if we went into meetings and connections with each other and we went into it with the thought of the person I'm meeting with is better than I am. The person I'm meeting with is more significant than I am. I think many times that is not what we take into our meetings. 
And when we take into our meetings the thought of, I got to protect myself. I know better than this person. This person's a fool. I don't want to have to work with this person. We go into meetings like that. We are setting ourselves up for conflict, um, disunity, and we won't achieve anything. Consider others as better than yourselves. Number six, encourage and build each other up. You know what we need to be better at in this, in this church and, and in the church is being encouragers. I call encouragers cup fillers. You know who cup fillers are? You know those people you walk up to and you just know they're going to fill your cup. And there are some of you out there that are great encouragers. I'll tell you, my, one, of my, one of the people who sounds like who is this to me is Judy Lawing. I know Judy doesn't like everything I do. But you know what? Judy is going to encourage me when she sees me. She fills my cup. Some of you are cup drainers. Not going to lie. Run the other way. We want to be cup fillers. We want to encourage people. Everybody in this room has a gift that can be encouraged. It doesn't mean we look over faults. It doesn't mean we don't ever have conflict. But we need to encourage each other and build each other up. Number seven, don't grumble against each other. This one was super challenging to me because here's what I believe when it says don't to grumble against each other. This also means in private with your friends, don't grumble against each other. That was a huge challenge for me this week. Sometimes I think as long as the person doesn't know I'm grumbling about them, it doesn't matter. I didn't hurt them. But you know what grumbling does, even if it's done in private? It builds animosity and bitterness and resentment that will overflow out of that private group into the body of Christ. Don't grumble about each other. Don't, don't, don't get together and complain about, oh, I, can't, I, I hate this group. I, that, she is on this group. And I was very much challenged about that myself this week. Spur one another, last one, spur one another on towards love and good works. This is a proactive one. This is, I believe, where the calling sometimes to challenge people comes in. We spur one another on. Sometimes we do have to call people out. Sometimes we we need to challenge people and how they're living and how they're interacting and the way they're doing things. But there's a great difference in um, just criticizing someone as opposed to spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. There's a motivation in that that is for the other person's benefit. It's a desire to see the other person live out their giftings in a way that's everything, where they're living in a way that's what God designed and called and gifted them to be. It's not criticizing someone because they've, I don't like something. It's, it's, call, it's challenging someone in a way that they can um, be more of who God's called them to be. Is a huge difference. And we need to do that. Love needs to be the motivator of both encouragement and criticism. The truth is that men and women together, as I said before, we reflect the whole of God's character. And we need each other as men and women. Both gifted by the Holy Spirit. Both parts of the body of Christ. God told us how to treat each other. And the reason that we care about following these one another's is that we care about our calling as Christ followers. To go into the world and to make disciples of all nations. We care about leading others to love and live for Jesus. You know what? There is a lot of squabbling out there in the world. 
and a lot of the squabbling out their pits, men and women against each other, and often encourages men to be more like women and encourages women to be more like men. But we should never mess with the perfect design of the Creator. Instead, we should just be men and women who act like men and women, even when we don't feel like it. Always valuing rather than destroying our differences. My challenge to to you, to me, to us as a church is to show the world something different in the relationships between man and woman. Married or single, how we live ultimately is a reflection to the world of Jesus. It is a reflection of his love for us. It's a reflection of his ultimate desire to bring us back to a place where the harmony and the unity that existed before the fall is restored. Our time on this earth is a constant movement towards heaven. And we can experience great restoration. We can experience great reconciliation between the sexes here on earth. But we move Our journey is not a stagnant one where we just wait. It is movement. We are moving as we experience restoration and reconciliation. Here, we are moving towards the perfection and completion of that restoration in heaven. And it's a high calling. My challenge is that we would do that together because God designed us to work together. Let's pray. God, I look around this room and I see men and women and I see, and and it just changes the way I see them when I think about them as one body, each with a very important role to play. God, I know that as men, we don't often think the same way as women. As women, we don't think the same way as men. We can get frustrated. We um, We can attempt to push the other out, but God, I pray you would bring us together. God, I pray we would be a unified body. I pray that within our marriages, God, that the world would see when we talk about marriage, we're not talking about some, uh, something you do at the courthouse, but God, we're talking about a relationship that's been turned into a reflection that the world would actually see something mystical in the way that we treat our wives and the way that we treat our husbands. And God, as men and women in this church who come together, God, I pray that we would Um, recognize the value that each person brings to the body. And God, we would treat each other as one another's. Humbly loving and submitting and counting people as greater than ourselves and forgiving each other. God, that we would um, build each other up, that we wouldn't grumble against each other, even behind closed doors. God, that we would spur one another on out of love, towards love and towards good deeds. God, there's just an amazing picture of the power of those relationships when we think about what if we really did that? And God, I pray you would work that in us. God, as hard as it is to live as you've called us to do, you've also provided your spirit to empower it in each of us. And God, I pray you would put in us a great desire to be the men and women you've called us to be. God, as we move into a time of offering, I just pray for this time. I pray... um, that we would be ever sensitive that we have nothing that is not already yours. 
I pray you would give us spirits of generosity, that we would be cheerful in it. And God, I pray as a church that we would be good stewards of, of every um, gift that comes into this place. God, that we would be a church that leads others to love and live for Jesus. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.